It's great being together and worshipping God, isn't it? There's something just so incredible about yeah. just being together as church family. And I don't know how many of us are there, sort of less than 20, yet God shows up in power and we can worship him and meet with him. It's, it's incredible. Um, for anyone who I've not met before, my name's Phil. I'm part of the team here. Um, and I've got the privilege this morning on carrying on our series in Acts as if by magic, thank you, Anna, um, that we've called Devoted in Action. And this is looking at the early church through the book of Acts. So I'm going to be reading from Acts chapter 5, and I'm reading from the ESV. Um, so I've not got it up on the screen, so if you've got a Bible or an electronic device that gives you access to the Bible, yeah, sure. do feel free to turn to it. Otherwise, just listen, and I'm going to read it out. So it says, starting Acts chapter 5, verse 12, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So a little bit of background to where we are. Marvellous it works. So this is a map of Jerusalem, um, and you can see kind of right in the heart of the city, you can see this is where the temple was. If anyone's interested, we've got Gethsemane there. That's where Stephen was stoned later on in the book of Acts and various other places that are talked about in the Bible. So if we then look at the temple, so this is what we think the temple looked like. Um, And in here, you've got sort of the Holy of Holies, the different courtyards coming out. On the outside, you've got the Gentile courtyards. That's where anyone could go into. Um, And number 11 there is the beautiful gate. And you might remember that from a few weeks ago when we talked about the healing of the lame man. And that happened at the beautiful gate there, which is the gate, um, which is kind of the threshold where the non-Jews couldn't go. So the Gentiles could be all in this bit here, but once you pass through the beautiful gate, that was a Jews only place to go. Um, And then if you come out from there, you've got various, what they call porticos, which I think is just a posh word for places with columns. And on one side, on the eastern side, was what we know as Solomon's portico. And essentially, there were all these clever columns that gave a bit of shade, and people would hang out there, would get some shelter from the sun, or if it's raining, some shelter from the rain. Um, So when he talks about Solomon's portico, that's kind of where we are. So um, in the previous chapters in Acts, we've heard stories of the Holy Spirit coming in power on the early believers. We've heard of the apostles proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. We heard the miraculous healing of a lame man. And then we heard a couple of weeks ago about the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira. Now, the author, Luke, has taken us carefully through individual stories as there's been specific things to learn from each of them, specific things that the author wants us to get out. However, in this passage, you might have noticed things seem to have suddenly sped up. And actually, rather than getting one individual story, we get a kind of general overview of what's happening. Um, Now, it's quite interesting if you look into the language, because the passage tells us that there were many signs and wonders being done. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, 
And actually the many is fairly obvious what it means, but it's quite interesting and forgive a bit of word geekery. But if you look into that word done, in Greek, the verb is eginito, which is something that's known as an imperfect middle indicative. And for those of you like me who have no idea what that means, yeah. when you look it up, what it actually means is an action that occurred must have been an ongoing process and not a single event. I'll say that again, an ongoing process and not a single event. So when we hear that all these signs and wonders were being done, we're not just talking about one sign and wonder. And we're not even talking about one particular time where the apostles did lots of things all together. But actually what it's telling us is there was a continue and ongoing doing of these signs and wonders as they gathered together. Now, the ESV that I read from translates this as they were regularly done, um, but some of the other translations don't quite capture that, I think, in such a good way. But I feel you get a sense here, there's a bit of a progression that we've had a couple of chapters earlier, the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate. But actually now it seems that signs and wonders are kind of business as usual for the apostles. It's not just the odd one here and then, they're continually being done. The apostles had spent the past few years seeing Jesus perform all sorts of miracles, and now they were stepping out themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit. So why does this matter? Why does God do all these miraculous things? To try and help us understand this a bit better and to understand why this passage is important to us, um, I'm going to step back a little and look through some other signs and wonders kind of throughout the whole Bible to see some patterns of what God's doing and crucially why. Um, and I'm going to highlight three key aspects of signs and wonders in the Bible. And then what we'll do is pull it all together and have a look at what this means for us here in Trinity Life Church Swindon in July 2023. All happy? Marvellous. So, this work. So, first of all, signs and wonders demonstrate the glory and the power of God. We can see this right at the beginning of our Bibles in Genesis. We see how God spoke and creation was birthed. From nothing came everything by the power of God. Psalm 19 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In Psalm 8, David says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? David looks up at the wonder of creation and he sees the glory of God. Um, In 1 Kings 18, I'm sure lots of us know the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So there's this big showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal as to whose God is the real God. Elijah builds this altar and doesn't stop there, gets them to pour loads and loads of water over it to make it humanly impossible for this thing to set fire. And actually, when Elijah then calls on God, what does he say? He doesn't say, set this on fire so that my life's saved or so that I look good. He says, oh Lord, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that the people may know that you, oh Lord, are God. Elijah calls out to God for a sign of wonder, but not so that people are impressed with him, not to save his own skin, but so that they see the glory of God. In Matthew 15, we um, we see Jesus healing many people. And what we're told, we're told that the crowd were amazed and they praised the God of Israel. And then if we come fast forward a little bit to the book of Acts and where we were a few weeks ago, what happens after the lame beggars healed in chapter three? It says that the people were filled with wonder and amazement. They see the glory, they see the power of God as the man is healed. Signs and wonders show the glory of God. 
Secondly, signs and wonders demonstrate the grace of God. One of the most well-known miracles in the Old Testament is the parting of the Red Sea in Exodus 14. I don't know, has anyone seen The Prince of Egypt, the movie? I'm seeing a few nods. Do you remember that scene when the wind comes and the waters part and it's dramatically, it's brilliant to watch on the big screen. Um, what I love is that at a point when all seems lost, when the Israelites are saying it'd be better to go back into slavery, do you know what Moses says to the Israelites? He says, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he'll work for you today. Moses then stretches out his hand over the sea. An incredible sign of wonder takes place. The wind blows, the waters part, and God's people walk over dry ground. God rescued his people from slavery to the Egyptians through a sign of wonder. And God rescues us from slavery to sin through Jesus. And one of my favourite parts of the story, I don't know if you noticed, the Bible tells us that the people of Israel walked on dry ground. Yes. They didn't have to kind of swim. They didn't have to wade through some shallow water. It wasn't even a little bit of a muddy path that they needed to get their welly boots on for. It was dry ground. God's grace doesn't just do the bare minimum. It gives us more than we could ever imagine. Um, a few weeks ago, we had Andy Cottingham from Bristol came and he shared so helpfully on Elisha and the widow's oil. Now, here we have a widow who's drowning in debt. She's so desperate, she's about to lose the only thing she's got left, which is her children. She thinks she's gonna to have to sell them into slavery. At that point, when all is lost, God shows up and he miraculously provides oil, which clears her debts. And actually, if the story ended there, it would be an incredible sign of wonder. But actually, the Bible tells us that there was more. It says she had enough oil to pay her debts and enough to live on. And then in the Gospels, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, and actually we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but it was probably more like 20,000 because there were women and children there as well. Um, but we're told that everyone ate and that they were satisfied. And that then the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Now, I, I recently went to a conference in Glasgow and on the flight there, British Airways do a meal service partway through. And what you get is tiny bottle of water and a little packet of biscuits it's not a meal it's a small snack just to kind of stop people moaning that's not what happens with Jesus there wasn't just enough bread to give everyone a quick snack and kind of stop them moaning until they could get home and get some proper dinner it tells us everyone was completely full they were satisfied the verb kind of means they were fattened with food this was a feast and then there was still more left over. There was still more than they started with left over at the end. Signs and wonders demonstrate to us the grace of God. It's a grace that's overwhelming. God doesn't just forgive our sins and reconcile us to God, but his grace sustains and equips us every day of our lives. Um, going back to the Old Testament again, um, in Two Kings, there's a great story of an army commander called Naaman. Um, which lots of you will be familiar with. So he has leprosy and he asks the king of Israel to heal him. Now the king of Israel says, whoa, I can't do that. But then Elisha comes along as a prophet and says, yeah, we can't, but I know that God can. And he says to him, slightly strangely, go and wash in the river seven times. Now, when he comes out first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth time, he's not clean. But when he comes out the seventh time, the Bible tells us that his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. He wasn't just healed of a disease, he was made completely new. 
And then if you think about Daniel chapter 3, which we looked at earlier on this year as a church, when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were miraculously kept safe from the fiery furnace. When they came out of the fire, and bear in mind this is the fire that even the people who tried to throw them into it died. It says the hair on their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. There wasn't even a smell of smoke. I don't know if you've ever like sat around a campfire when you're camping, or do you remember the days when you used to, people used to smoke in pubs and you'd have been to the pub the night before and that next day, that smell of smoke is just all over your clothes. It's then all over the pillow where you've laid and it just gets everywhere as a sort of reminder of what you did the night before. Here, there wasn't even the smell of smoke. God's rescue was complete and absolute. And it's the same with God's grace. Psalm 103 tells us that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. And then today's passage in Acts 5 comes immediately after the death of Ananias and Sapphira, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, I just want to read from um, a commentary by a um, guy called Matthew Henry, and he writes, Many miracles of mercy for one of judgment. Now the gospel returned to its proper channel, which is that of mercy and grace. God had come out of his place to punish, but now returns to his place, to his mercy seat again. The miracles the apostles wrought proved their divine mission. I love that. Many miracles of mercy for one of judgment. A point where many in the church may have been shocked or a little bit scared. What does God do? He pours out his mercy and his grace. Verse 16 tells us that they were all healed. This wasn't just a little bit of a healing ministry. Everyone who came was healed. The gospel that's talked about here, the gospel that we enjoy, the gospel that we have to share is a gospel of grace. And God showed this in his word through many miraculous healings. Signs and wonders demonstrate the grace of God. And that's a grace that's abundant, it's overflowing and it's complete. So thirdly, signs and wonders draw people to God and they advance the gospel. So we talked about Elijah calling down fire when that happens, after Elijah calls on God and God responds faithfully and miraculously in sending fire on this wet altar, we see the response of those around. The Bible tells us when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The practical demonstration of the power and the glory of God drew people to him. In Luke chapter five, after Jesus heals a leper and Interestingly, which is a discussion for another day, Jesus tells him not to go and tell anyone. But actually, it says, now even more, the report about Jesus went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him. The miraculous healing drew people to Jesus. And actually, we see the same in today's passage in Acts 5. Verse 14 tells us more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And it says people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. Signs and wonders draw people to Jesus and they advance the gospel. Thinking about it. No. No, it's died. There we go. It's obviously struggling to reach to there. Cool. Um, so, and as we've seen, there's evidence of signs and wonders throughout the Bible, right from creation at the beginning through the Old Testament. We know that Jesus performed many, many miracles during his ministry. And then we see that there were signs and wonders in the early church. These signs and wonders demonstrate the glory and the power of God 
They demonstrate the grace of God and they draw people to Jesus. But what does that mean for us today? I think there's a bit of a risk that we can look at the books of Acts and we can see all these amazing things that are going on and see it as something kind of to admire rather than something that we can aspire to ourselves or even kind of try and have a go ourselves. Um, So one of the things that I like to do in my spare time is bouldering, which is indoor rock climbing with big crash mats rather than ropes. And that's me climbing a couple of years ago. Um, Now, um, I discovered it a couple of years ago and I absolutely love it and I try and go once or twice a week, but I'm still not very good at it. and I'm still kind of doing the simple routes. I don't know if you can see this beautiful orange route here. They're basically these massive rungs that you can hold onto. None of these like clever things that you have to pinch onto there. Um, And sometimes when I go and when I'm having a rest after a climb, I just sit and just watch other people climb and you get these like big muscly lads in their 20s come along um, and they just sort of seem to fly up these tricky routes that I could just never dream of being able to do. And sometimes the temptation for me is just to give up and go, you know what, I'm never going to be do that. So what's the point of me coming along and just climbing my nice, easy orange route when they're flying up these other ones? Um, But actually, what I've had to kind of teach myself to do is to not be discouraged, but actually be encouraged and inspired by them. Now, I'm never going to be able to do all the clever routes, um, but especially kind of having started climbing in my late 30s, which is not necessarily a great time to take up a new sport. But actually, all these amazing people had to start somewhere. They had to take that first step. They had to start on those simpler routes. And so actually, I happily go along and climb my simpler routes. And I've noticed over the last couple of years, I've got a bit stronger, my balance has got better, I've got a bit more confident. And there's stuff I can do now that I couldn't do two years ago. And I think we can face the same challenge when we think about signs and wonders. And I'm definitely... This is one of those things where as you prepare, you're preaching more to yourself than to anyone else. Um, We can look at the book of Acts, and I know I can feel overwhelmed, think, I'm never going to see these sorts of things here, never going to see it in our church. And I I can't help but wonder whether some of the early believers felt that too. If you notice in verse 13, it says, none of the rest dared join them, but they held them in high esteem. Now, there's a little bit of debate in the commentaries as to the meaning of this verse and which people, the they's and the them's are referring to. But I, I just can't help but wonder whether some of the believers were looking on at the apostles doing all this incredible stuff and thought, wow, that's amazing, but nowhere am I getting involved. Keep my distance. Um, as many of you here will know, um, I've recently had some building work done at home. Um, and as part of that, we took out an outside wall and put this massive six meal, when I say we, cleverer people than me, um, put in this massive six metre um, steel beam in. Now, when this first went in, and this is what it looked like, I was really quite anxious and I was actually struggling to sleep at night because I couldn't understand how a piece of metal that's resting on like that much brick either side can hold up half my house. And particularly when my seven-year-old's room is right above the bit it's supporting. I, I was quite worried. Um, Becky, being the far more logical of us, wasn't worried at all and was happy to trust that the structural engineer, the steel fabricators and the builders all knew what they were doing and that our house wasn't going to fall down. Um, Being a bit of a nerd and needing to know how everything works, I was on spending my evenings on the DIY forums, kind of Googling how do you support a steel beam and all of this. Um, And um, fortunately had a copy of the structural engineer's calculations. which looked a bit like that, but there were about eight pages of them. And so me being a geek, went through it all, went through it with a fine-toothed comb and kind of got to the end and went, oh, okay, 
they know what they're doing. It makes sense. I've gone through the calculations. Even if we get a week of snow and there's 27 people upstairs and the wind's blowing, the house isn't going to fall down. I was finally happy that it would stay standing. Um, but actually, Becky had been right all along. We could trust that the professionals knew what they were doing. We can trust that God knows what he's doing. We don't need to double check what he says or scrutinise his plans. We can trust him. He knows what he's doing. I think signs and wonders can sometimes be hard because they don't always make sense because God doesn't always work in ways that we expect or we understand. Um, in Isaiah 55, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. I'd love to be able to explain why people could receive healing just by Peter's shadow passing over them. I can't. I can't explain why people took handkerchiefs of pools later on in Acts and laid them on people and people were healed. I can't explain why some people are healed with a word while Naaman had to go and wash seven times. And I can't explain why some people haven't received healing despite many faithful believers praying for them, sometimes over many years. But I know that God is good and I know that God knows what he's doing. As I've read through this, as I've prepared, I believe that God wants to encourage and inspire us through the scriptures, not put us off from having a go. We may not in our earthly lifetime see for ourselves all the incredible signs and wonders that we see in the Bible, but we might do. And it's certainly not a reason to hide away from them altogether. We know that Jesus did many amazing miracles, yet in John 14, he says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. In Luke 8, we see a woman healed just by touching the edge of Jesus's cloak. And I wonder whether this has almost gone one step further in Acts 5 with people getting healed just by Peter's shadow passing over them. Now, at this point in Acts, in chapter 5, it seems that only the apostles were doing signs and wonders. But actually, we see in the very next chapter that it wasn't just for them. Stephen said to do, have done great wonders and signs. And actually then in chapter 8, we hear that the crowds paid attention to what was being said by Philip the evangelist when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. It's clear in the book of Acts that although signs and wonders started with the apostles and that they wonderfully demonstrated leadership in this, that they weren't limited to them, but that other believers moved in signs and wonders as well. And I believe that God continues to do signs and wonders today and that he uses them to demonstrate his glory, to show us his grace and to draw people to him. But we don't have to try and get to the top of the trickiest route straight away. We can start with simple steps. That might be asking someone at the pub, how are they? It might be saying, look, can I just pray for you? It might be praying for someone at home who's sick. It might be offering to pray for someone after the church service who you know is in pain or is unwell. As we take these small steps, God can build our faith and he can help us believe for greater things. I don't know if you noticed in this passage, there's kind of a progression. So the apostles' ministry starts in the temple and actually even there, there's a progression. The healing of the lame man happens at the beautiful gate, right at the bit where only Jews are allowed. Then they move out to the portico where the Gentiles are coming past, where it's much more public. Then it goes out to the streets of Jerusalem and people are bringing their sick. Then it tells that we'll start gathering from the surrounding towns. I just I get a feeling that as they built their faith in a safe place, they were then able to move out. Yes. Yeah. Amen. 
Now, of course, the apostles make it really, really clear that they're not doing any of this in their own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts begins with Jesus' instruction to the apostles to wait for baptism in the Spirit, saying that they'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. As we all know, the Holy Spirit then comes powerfully at Pentecost, but that precedes any signs and wonders by the apostles. Peter preaches using the words of the prophet Joel, and he says that God will pour out his Spirit on all flesh, and that God will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Any of us are only able to step out in signs and wonders because of the Holy Spirit working in us. And when we do step out, we do so in his power and with his guidance. The Holy Spirit changed Peter from someone who ran away and denied even knowing who Jesus was into a man who boldly proclaimed the gospel, performed many signs and wonders and was even willing to give up his life for the gospel. Now, in Acts chapter 10, Peter teaches that even Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit for his ministry. Peter proclaims, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. Yet this same spirit, the same power that was working through Jesus and the apostles in their ministry is available to us today. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that we may know the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Romans 8 tells us that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And say that again, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Wow. The Holy Spirit gives us the courage and the power that we need to do signs and wonders today, just like Jesus did. We can't do anything of value without this power, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, anything is possible. I want to read an extract that was written by Phil Moore, who's a pastor and teacher within the New Frontiers family, and he writes this in his book on Acts. It says, I was once very sceptical about all this. I had read the book of Acts, but assumed it was a hero story for admiration, not imitation. Then through the goading of a mature Christian mentor, I began to take risks and to ask God to heal people whenever I preached the gospel. When the Holy Spirit, to my complete surprise and amazement, started healing a few of those I prayed for, I saw a sudden increase in the number of people who responded for salvation. Just last Sunday, for example, I was able to tell people that they knew what I was preaching was true, because they'd just seen Jesus heal someone before their very eyes. I'm still new at this, but I'm not sceptical anymore. I've started making room for the Holy Spirit to be my primary witness and discovering that he makes us very fruitful when we do. Now, even in the past few weeks, I've heard stories of significant healings from two church plants within the Commission family of churches that we're part of, and that's church plants that are a similar size to us. There we go. Um, so um, Anthem Church in Leicester, um, which is led by a friend of mine um, from Bristol, Jamie Finlay, um, and they shared the following testimonies online and they wrote that they've been humbled by the incredible mercy of God who's been changing lives in many different ways, including physically. So they've had people healed from pain. They had someone who had a hernia and then went for the follow-up appointment and it had gone miraculously. God is doing signs and wonders today, and he's doing it in churches like ours. Um, this is 
Trinity Church in Red Deer, Canada. It's also part of our family of churches. Um, and they shared a couple of weeks ago that they saw the Lord instantly and miraculously heal a broken leg before their eyes after the meeting. God is still moving in signs and wonders today. And he's not only doing it in the big churches that everyone's heard of or in the big conferences. He's doing it through people like us in churches like this. So let's be inspired and encouraged by the signs and wonders that we see in the Bible. And let's believe God that we will see great things even here in this church. Let's continually pray for the Holy Spirit to give us courage and power. And let's step out and take risks as we're led by the Spirit. I'm so encouraged by what Eddie shared during the worship. I love it when someone makes the point you're going to make in a much better way than I would have done. Let's take risks. Let's step out as the Spirit guides us. Let's seek God for signs and wonders that are going to demonstrate his glory to Swindon, that are going to demonstrate his grace to those around us, and that helps lead people to the gospel of Jesus. Now, um, I've been struggling to work out how to kind of wrap things up and how to close it. And I think we're going to move into worship in a minute. And I wonder, John and Roger, maybe if you're happy to come up and, and start playing. Um, but I just, while we were worshiping earlier, just got the sense that there's, there's maybe three different responses here. Um, and I'm not, we're a small group of people. We don't need to do an altar call. We don't need people to kind of come and kneel at the front or any of that. Um, if you want to respond, if you feel something's for you, please just grab someone you know and trust or come and have a chat with me at the front and I'd love to pray for you. Um, but I think there's, there's some of us who may be going, yeah, actually, I want faith for this. I want courage for this. I want to step out. I want to believe God for this and want God to kind of help you with what's the next step in, in taking bigger risks for him and stepping out. I think there might be people here who need healing themselves. That might be an acute thing that's come up. It might be something that's been going on for a long time and you're thinking, why can I not be healed for this? And actually, I'd love for us to pray for you today and to kind of put this into action, put our money where our mouth is and say, we've got a God who heals, who does miracles today. And then I just, just had the feeling that actually, as we've been looking at the grace of God, that, that there might be people here who've just either not grasped before, or this has just been a kind of fresh realisation of how amazing the grace of God is, that this grace of God is so overflowing, abundant and complete, and that actually you just want to receive that grace from God and just want to respond to God in that. I'm just going to pray and then we'll worship. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that... It is not just a history book, but it is, it is stories of you working in power among your people. And I thank you that it's not just something for the past, but it's living and active in our lives today. I thank you that you call us to, to walk in your ways today, that you, that you move in signs and wonders even in 2023 in Swindon. I thank you even for the testimonies we've heard this morning of what, what you've done, of the opportunities you've provided. And I pray that you'll by your spirit, build faith in this room even now. Holy Spirit, come, build faith to believe you for, for signs and wonders, not so that we can feel good about ourselves or have a good time, but that, that Swindon may see your glory, that the name of Jesus might be glorified in this town, that people might see the grace of the gospel 
and respond to it, that people's lives will be changed. Lord, equip us, give us courage by your spirit. We love you, Lord. We long to see you glorified.